What a great anthem. Wasn't that? Can we say thank you to Aaron wherever he is? Thank you, Aaron. I love that line, um, that we would give flesh and blood to the dreams of God, that we would incarnate and embody his hope for this world, that we would carry that light brightly. And that's what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. If you haven't been with us, let me take one minute and catch you up on where we've been the last six weeks. We started by talking about our mission as a church, which is to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. And then we started exploring these values that we want to shape us over the coming months and years that we have together. Uh, the value of the presence of God, that we'd be people who pursue the presence of God, who experience the presence of God, who soak in the presence of God, that we would be people who believe that Jesus has come not just to save us so that we go to heaven someday, but to heal us and lead us towards wholeness today. We believe that we are a people designed and wired into our being as we be people of habits and practice and disciplines that would help, by God's grace, shape us to be more and live more in the way of, of Jesus. We believe that God has intended us to live together as, as family, as a community of faith, that we have different gifts and different passions and different backgrounds, but God has planted us together in this body of faith that we would be more together than we would be as individuals added up together. Last week, we talked about the invitation God's given us to join him in the world, that he is on mission, that the end of the story is not just that you and I are saved, but that his world is renewed and that he invites us to link arms with him as he is on mission in this world. And finally, on this Memorial Day weekend, it just so happens that it lined up perfectly to talk about the fact that we want to be a rooted community. Tomorrow, uh, we'll celebrate our history, and we'll celebrate Memorial Day. In 1868, the United States started celebrating the people that have gone before us to give the ultimate sacrifice of their very lives to lay a foundation of freedom that we now stand on and are incredibly grateful for. Amen? And if you're a student of the scriptures, you will, as you read through the scriptures, come to see that God constantly reminds his people to be intentional about remembering, that he brings them out of Egypt. They pass through the Red Sea. He passes over them, and he says, he commands them, be a people who celebrate the Passover. Do not forget what I did in passing over you and bringing you out of Egypt. After they're wandering in the desert for 40 years, they pass through the Jordan River, and as the Jordan River is held at flood stage, people go back into the middle of a dry riverbed. They pick up rocks, and they make an Ebenezer, a memorial. And God says, every time you pass by that stone structure, you retell that story, because you'll forget. You'll forget. And isn't it interesting that we are designed to be people who build on the past and yet forgetting can be so easy? That the remembering is so important and forgetting can be so natural? Have you ever thought about that? I can remember I was seven years old and I was in my uncle's wedding and I was the ring bearer. And I was really excited. I was pumped up. This was sort of my time to shine, you know? 
And I was in the back with the rest of the wedding party, and, and all the people walked forward, and then it was just um, me with my um, soon-to-be aunt standing back there and the flower girl, and I can remember walking down with the flower girl just feeling like I was owning the place, right? And I got to the front, and it got to be the part where I was supposed to hand the rings to the officiant, and I recognized that I was holding absolutely nothing. I had one job a job. Carry these. And that was back in the day when they were crazy enough to trust the ring bearer to actually bring the rings. We don't do that anymore, right? Because of people like me. And so I'm standing there empty handed and I went, oh no. And I turned around and I ran down the aisle, grabbed the rings that I had conveniently placed on a little stand. And I ran back down the aisle and went, here you go, right? I went and sat down with my parents. My work here is done, right? <laughs> I think in some ways, though, it's very natural for us to forget, to be standing and uh, holding nothing. I have a great memory for some things. For some reason, I can, I can remember most of what I read. I have a very hard time remembering what I've watched or what I've seen, that, that memory is powerful, but forgetting is natural, isn't it? But we also live in a cultural moment where forgetting isn't just natural, it's also intentional. Where, where we live in this cultural moment where we've, we've decidedly severed ourselves from the past and said, I don't want to build my life on that. So we have things now like the sexual revolution, which is the declaration that we are going to forge our own way and do our own thing. We assume erroneously that what happened most recently is most important. We live in a day and in a time where we view the past with a certain sort of indifference, suspicion, and maybe even snobbery. We view it as, as obsolete. We, we, we view it akin to the telephone that hangs on the wall. It's cute. It served a purpose at some point in time, but it no longer has any use for today. We have exchanged, catch this, because I, I think it's true, we have exchanged a grounded rootedness in history for an embrace of individuality. So we live in a day and a time where we are more free than we have ever been before. You can order your groceries on your phone right now and have them at your door before you get home if you're willing to pay for it. But, but, but we live in a moment also where people feel more disconnected and more in need of meaning than we ever have as a human race. We, we don't want to be chained down or weighed down by the expectations of those who have gone before us and by the hopes and dreams of the past. And so we've thrown off the shackles. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we've lost more than we've gained. I think we're beginning to realize that we've lost our sense of grounding our sense of standing on something bigger than ourselves, our, our sense of being part of a bigger story. 
And there's something about being human that longs for that story. Let me give you an example. I can remember when I was a kid, or at least younger than I am now, which is the entirety of my life, I was younger than I am now. But I can remember in 1995 when Coors Field opened for the very first time. Does anybody remember that beautiful, great day? Yeah. 1995. At that point in time, it was the newest stadium in baseball. Well, you fast forward now a few decades, and that Coors Field, built in 1995, is the third oldest stadium in the National League. Third oldest. We have this conviction that newer is implicitly better, don't we? And yet, if you were to walk into Fenway Park in Boston, built in 1912, those walls tell a story. There's something about stepping into a Wrigley Field built in 1914 that has had people like Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle and Ted Williams who've played on these fields, and there's just a certain weightiness to the history that surrounds them, isn't there? That maybe new isn't always better. Maybe, Maybe there's something in us that longs to be connected to the story that preceded us. Memory are like roots for a tree. They they go down deep to a nutrient source that isn't available on the surface. There's a depth, please hear me. I, I love the modern church, but there is a depth that is only available to us if we go deeper than our fog machine, cliche-driven, trite era that we live in. It's true. Please hear me, though. I'm not saying that we need to get back to the good old days. That's, that's not what this message is about. So if that, that's a takeaway, please don't take that away. What I am saying is that we would do well to link arms with some ancient guides that could help lead us into the future. We would do well to drink deeply from some of their experiences, from some of their encounters with God, to help chart a course into what God would have for us today and tomorrow and for the decades ahead. Amen? And so if you have your scriptures, open to 2 Peter chapter 1. As Peter, one of Jesus' friends and disciples, is going to write to the church. And he's going to have a pretty strong word for them that has a centralized theme that I think you'll start to identify as we read through verses 12 through 15. Here's what the apostle Peter says in his letter, second letter to the churches. He says this. Therefore, I always intend to, what? To remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. See, he's going, I know you know this, but but I want to remind you of it. I don't want you to forget, verse 13. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. Now, just a quick time out. Not sure how he got this word. Not sure if he was in his morning quiet time in prayer and Jesus was like, you're going to die soon. I don't know how that worked out, but Peter had this conviction 
that his life was not long for this world. So, so he wants to give the church one last shot in the arm. One last, like, come on, you guys. One last, look up at me. And here's what he says. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So the last thing that Peter wants to give to his churches, the, the last thing that he wants to impart to them, if he had a gift for them as his life was ending, it, it could be summarized in one word. Remember. Remember. Don't forget. Don't forget what God has done in the past. Don't forget his faithfulness. Don't forget the way that he's worked in your life and in the life of others. And he says that he's going to make every effort so that after his departure, that story would continue to carry them, would continue to be wind in their sails, as it were, because Peter's convinced that being rooted in God's past faithfulness frees us to courageously walk into the future. So he says, I just want to hand this to you. I want to remind you. I want you to remember. I want you to recall. And then he jumps into what we can use as a way to remember. Starting in verse 16, here's what he says. He's writing about the scriptures. And he says this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were what? Eyewitnesses. We saw it with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. We ate with him, talked with him, walked with him, heard him, all of, all, the, all of that. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice that was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Which, and Peter's referring to the transfiguration. He's referring to when, when Jesus said to him and James and John, hey, let's go for a hike. They went up to a mountain. And on that mountain, Jesus was transfigured before them, turned as bright as white as you could see, and Moses and Elijah showed up. And Peter's like, oh, let's build a shelter. It's one of those moments where you just read Peter saying something, his words are coming out of his mouth, and he's like, I don't know why I'm saying this, Right? But he just wanted to hit pause. He just wanted to, to soak in that moment the voice of God enthroning the Son of God. This is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. And he goes, listen, we ourselves, we heard this voice born from heaven. For we were with him on that holy mountain. We heard it with our own ears. We're not telling you a story that got handed to us, that got handed to somebody else. We're not playing telephone here. He, Peter's saying, I heard it. I heard it, and I'm passing on to you what I heard. He says, listen, listen, listen. And we have this prophetic word more fully confirmed. He's going, you can read through the scriptures, and here's the confidence that you can have. What God said would happen, happened. So what God says will happen, will happen, right? You have this prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well <laughs> to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place 
until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So so Peter wants to say a few things to us. One, you can have confidence that the scriptures are reliable. We we don't have time to go into an entire apologetic of why I believe that you can ground your life on that truth. Suffice to say this morning, you can ground yourself on that truth. Secondly, what he says is that we've got to pay attention to it. It's It's effective. It's like a light shining in a dark place. So expect it to cut against the grain of whatever culture you find yourself in. It's going to be countercultural. It's going to be light in darkness. And finally, here's what he says. Here's what he says. No prophecy of scripture was ever produced by the will of man. They didn't come up with it. Pause. But they did play a part. They, they were carried along. So you have the stories. You have history. You have wisdom literature, you have prophetic literature, you have letters back and forth from one city to another of people who are seeking to follow the way of God. It didn't originate in them, but you have the personalities of human beings that come through in the letters and and stories and history recorded in the scriptures. What do you hold when you hold the Bible? You hold a library. 66 books written by 40 different authors over the course of 3,000 years that have one central message, that God is on mission to love, redeem, and restore his world. He's doing it through the person and work of Jesus the Messiah, and you and I, by faith, are invited into that story that he's telling. Hey, you can subscribe for that. That's great. So that's what you hold when you hold the Bible. But Peter's not just bidding us to say we, we enjoy the scriptures, we value the scriptures. He's inviting us to do something far deeper and more meaningful than that. He's inviting us to be shaped by the stories and the truth that we find here. We are an ancient future people. And look at the way that he says this. There's two things that stood out to me as I was studying this text. Here's the first. He says, therefore, verse 12, I intend to always remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are what? Established. In the Greek, it's this word, sterizo. Will you say that with me? Sterizo. It's where we get our English word, any guesses? Steroids. Steroids. It means to be Firmly grounded or planting in something to the point where you don't vacillate when a wind comes up. I was picturing a, a, a building, a tall building, and, and I started to do a little bit of research, and I, I read about the Shanghai Tower that was built just a few years ago. 2,073 feet tall. Anybody want to go up in that bad boy? No, thank you. Especially after you hear this, Okay. After you hear this, that it's built in Shanghai, which has notorious soft soil and is in an earthquake zone. No thanks. I'll pass. 
I will pass. Thank you very much. So in order to allow this building to stand secure, they took 980 pylons and they drove them 282 feet into the center of the earth. Feel a little bit better about that now, right? In order to make the building sterizo, established, standing firm. And Peter says, hey, when you remember, when you remember this story that you're in, you start to be established, grounded, planted in a foundation that goes beyond just your life. See, roots are so important because they sustain us in the storm. They sustain us in life storms that will inevitably come. If they haven't come in your life, you just haven't lived long, long, long enough yet. Just hold on. They will come. And what Peter wants to say is, and you can and maybe you write this down in your bulletin if you're a note taker, write this down, that the God who sustained is the God who has not changed. The God who sustained them is the God who has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, in our kids' ministry, we teach our kids the scriptures. You do know that this is not babysitting, this isn't child care. We want to instill in our kids a knowledge of what God has done in the past in order to create an invitation, this God has not changed. Build your life on this God. But when we disconnect ourselves from the past, when we feel like new is implicitly and always better, we lose the power of those who have gone before us and the invitation God gives us to stand on their shoulders. It's really interesting. If you read through the book of Amos, which most of you do your morning devotions, and I know, but Amos is this little minor prophet, and he's recording the words of God, and listen to what God says to Amos. He says, also... It was I, God, who brought whom? You. Out of the land of Egypt and led you 40 years into the wilderness to possess the land of Amorite. Well, this is hundreds and hundreds of years after God led them out of Egypt. Hundreds and hundreds of years after God led them through the desert. They're probably looking at each other and going, God led us? And God's like, oh, yeah, 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 your story is their story. You're part of this family of faith. You're part of this lineage. You're, you're grafted into what I have been doing from the beginning of time. So, friends, when we, when we practice the sacraments or the rituals of our faith, when we have a baptism Sunday, it's not just an, yay, we've been baptized, praise Jesus. It's we are entering in, dipping our toes into a stream that's been going for 2,000 plus years. Where we remember that we were dead in our transgression and sin and that Jesus has made us alive through Christ. Churches for 2,000 plus years have been celebrating this sacrament. And when we take communion, we enter in, we dip our toes into the reality that we are not doing anything or something new here. We're simply joining in what God has always been doing. When we read creeds in the service, and we'll have them back on the wall in a few weeks, Lord willing, and we read the Apostles' Creed, we, you know Aaron and I didn't write that? Okay. This is 1,800 years old, right? 
We're standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. And we are soaking in the reality that some mystical way we get bolstered up by the faith that they had. It's why the author of Hebrews will write to the churches, he'll say this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and if you go back and you read the letter to the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11 that precedes this, he's gone through what's called the hall of fame of faith oftentimes. People who have walked by faith in miraculous ways with God. People who have seen God move and seen God work. And, and what the author of Hebrews goes, says is like, you're surrounded by these people. As, they, as you read their stories, you're strengthened by their stories. You're reminded that you don't have to forge a new path that somebody has walked that road before and you can follow in their footsteps. And listen to what he expects it will do. Let us also lay aside every weight because we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses and sin that clings so closely. And let us run in, with endurance the race that is set out before us. So we read their stories. We hear their stories. And then we are empowered to run our race all the more. This, friends, is the power of being rooted, of being grounded. That we don't just read their stories, we stand on their shoulders. Their stories in some way become our stories and we're sustained in the dark night of the soul. That if we're struggling with what's next, we read the story of Abraham, of God calling him to leave his home and to follow the way of Yahweh. We read the story of David having a promise from God and yet being on the run for much of his adult life. We read the story of Israelites being the people of God and yet being carried off into exile. We read the story of Esther bolstering up the strength to stand up to the king to fight on behalf of her people. We read Jeremiah crying out in lament to God. We read St. Augustine struggling with lust and pride and learning how to live in the way of Jesus. We read of Joan of Arc who musters up the strength to give her very life for the faith that she professes. We read of St. John of the Cross walking through the dark night of the soul and teaching us how to do it. We read of Martin Luther pounding his 95 theses into the Wittenberg door because he believed that a new day was dawning for the church. We read of Charles Spurgeon, the silver-tongued preacher, struggling with depression for most of his life. We read of Horatio Spafford losing his entire fortune and his family and penning the words, it is well with my soul. Whatever it is that you're walking through, if you're rooted if you're grounded, you don't need to break new ground. You can stand on the shoulders of those who have gotten through that job loss before, who've lost their family, who've walked through the dark night of the soul and struggled with depression. You can learn from their blood and their sweat and their tears. You don't need to be the first, the only, or the smartest when you're surrounded by the great cloud of witnesses. That's great news, is it not? 
And I love that this is the kind of church that we're in. Like we have uh, David and Lisa Rickman who are starting uh, a group for blended families because they, they just want some of their life experience to be a blessing to others that might be in that same position. Not an easy position. But maybe you're, maybe you're going, I, I need a little bit of that wind in my sails. Can I give you one encouragement? Maybe it's all you take from this message. Read. Let's close in prayer, okay? No, but, but read, read a biography. Read a biography about a missionary. Read a biography about Adoniah Judson. Read a biography about William Carey. Re- read a biography about J. Hudson Taylor. Pick up a great book called Water from a Deep Well written by Jerry Sitzer uh, that walks us through the beautiful manifold history of followers of Jesus and the way that they've interacted with their God. Read, read. Drink deeply from the sources that are all around you. I'm convinced that we do not need a widening of our faith. We need a deepening of it. And one of the things you have, because you're involved in this church, or at least know somebody who loves you enough to drag you here, one of the things that you have is that you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. That there are people here who've been living in the way of Jesus, with the heart of Jesus for a long time. And there's some wind that blows that you can catch from their lives to bolster your faith. Let me introduce you to one of them. Her name is Edith Leland, and here's a little bit of her story. I'm 97, so it's been 90 years since I took the Lord as my savior. It's been quite a trip. Well, my name is Edith Leland. I came to South Fellowship about, I think it was three years ago. I knew this was the place that God wanted me. I could sense it in my spirit. We can bring anything to the Lord in prayer. I have a prayer journal. I've got tons of answers. and When the prayer is answered, I put a little asterisk in front of their the request, and then I make a little notation as to how it was answered. Oh, (laughs) it's such a builder of faith. We're like a tool that lays on the workbench. A tool that lays there can't move a half an inch on that workbench by itself, but let its craftsman come and pick it up, and some beautiful things can happen. It's the same with us. We're God's tool. We can't do anything in our own strength that will bring glory to Him. But let our craftsmen come and pick us up. That's when things begin to happen. It makes you want to pray more and more and be in cooperation with the Lord, which is such a privilege. So prayer is so critically important to our walk with the Lord. One time when Bob was over on the mission field, and of course I pray for my children every day, I was praying for him And the Lord led me to pray, God, open up a hole in the clouds so they can see where to land. And I thought, well, that's a strange prayer. I wrote to him, this is before email, of course, and I said, by any chance were you up in a plane on this certain day? He wrote back and he said, yes. We were flying from Angi to Yalsakor, and when we took off, the sky was clear. We hadn't gone far when the clouds closed in and we could not see where we were going. Well, of course, 
Those little MAF planes have none of the bells and whistles like the big planes do now. And um, he said the pilot was really concerned. There's mountains over there. They could have been flying straight into the side of a mountain. And uh, Bob said, all of a sudden, there was a hole opened up in the clouds. And we were, there was the landing strip that we were headed for right in, right under that hole. And we landed safely and the clouds all closed in behind us. So that was a miracle. He's faithful, always faithful. And there are moments when, uh, when we have doubts. But God leads us through the doubts too. He's not surprised. He's not a bit surprised. You know, the world pulls us away into a different track sometimes. But it's like a rubber band. You have a rubber band on your wrist and the world pulls you out. But at the split second, you can let it go and it goes right back to your wrist. And that's like prayer, you know. A few weeks ago, it was a few days before my birthday, and I said to the Lord, I would dearly love it to have one of, one of Brittany's cookies. One, my granddaughter bakes lovely cookies. I said, I would just love to have one of her cookies for my birthday. And she lives in Ohio, so I knew it wasn't possible. But the Lord, he doesn't ever get surprised at anything we ask. And uh, a few days before my birthday, there was a package arrived. It was not one of her cookies, it was a whole box full of them. And I felt just like God had blown me a kiss. Nothing is too small for him. Oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still declare your wondrous deeds. And even when I'm old and gray, oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. Yeah, that's what I want. Oh, man, I, I love, um, I love pastoring an intergenerational church uh, because selfishly, I want to be around people like Edith. Uh, I, I want to be, I want my, I, I, I count it an absolute joy and an honor that I know that my kids are being prayed for by you. I've seen the notebook, right? But I love the fact, friends, that we, have, we are surrounded by a great cloud of, of witnesses, of the, the Del McDonald's, the Don and Ruth Nichols, the John Samuelsons, the Jerry and Carol Evans, the Dan and, Carol, the Dan and Carrie Elliotts, the people that, that have walked this road that we get the chance to walk with. What an absolute joy. And Peter says, I-, I want you to be rooted in that. I-, I want you to be grounded in it. Don't think that newer, shinier is implicitly better. No, that there's a story that's been going on before you got here. And it will continue after you're gone. So surround yourself by the bigger, grander narrative. Hey, here's a second thing Peter says, and this will be brief. 
but I want to point it out for us. Here's what he says. After he says, I want you to be grounded in it, like sink your pylons deep into it. Lest you think that's confining, here's what he says. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. So he goes, listen, it's not just that memory grounds you, it's that memory stirs you. It awakens you. It's a a, a wind in your sails to push you forward. I love the way that A.J. Sherrill put it. He said this, those who drink deeply from the past are most most equipped most powerfully toward the future. The God who revealed is the God who reveals. The God who created is the God who creates. The God who was at work is the God who is at work. The one who sustained has not changed. So we talk about memory, and we're not just talking about some heightened sense of nostalgia. We're talking about a deep sense of grounding that pushes us towards a future that we couldn't dream of on our own. And see, roots don't just sustain us. They stir us. They stir us to follow Jesus into the future. Maybe the best picture of this is from a short little quote by a man named Gustav Mahler, and here's what he said. Tradition is not to preserve the ashes, but to pass on the flame. Tradition is not to preserve the ashes, but to pass on the flame. It's why I love talking with men like Bill Dale about what God has done in this church and his sustaining grace in this church. It's not just to look back at, God, you were faithful. It's to look forward to, God, you're going to be faithful. And God, we can have confidence in that because you, you have not changed. Friends, we are not part of something new. We're not. We're part of something that's been going for 2,000 plus years. Certainly, we're part of something fresh. God is up to something different and unique in our time in this place where we get this short little opportunity to carry his flame, his light, his goodness, and his love. But that's not new. The church has been doing that for 2,000 plus years. It's fresh. It's fresh in our time. It's fresh for our time, for our cities, but it's not new, It's why we sing old songs, we're reminded of the history, and we sing new songs, like the one that Aaron wrote this morning, wrote today, or wrote this last week, because we want to remind ourselves that God is up to something today. I quote old dead people in almost every sermon to remind you that I'm not original. I'm standing on their shoulders, and I love doing that. And I'll quote guys whose books came out last week because God is still stirring in people things to be written. So the question is, how are we moved by our roots? And I'm going to fly through these and we're going to land the plane here. How are we moved by our roots or stirred by them? Number one, I find it a great motivation to read about people who love Jesus in a way that's a little bit hard for me to wrap my heart and my mind around that we're, when we're grounded in their stories, I believe it encourages us to pursue greater intimacy with God. It's like watching a great movie that paints a picture of somebody who loves their friends or their family well, or, or a husband that loves his wife well, and you, you walk out of that movie just wanting to squeeze the people around you a little bit closer. 
I, like, that's what being surrounded by the Carolyn Schmitz of the world does for me. It's like, man, she just has this interaction with Jesus that, that, that's different than mine, and I want some of that. I want some of that. They, they, there's people that just live out the reality that our greatest hope is Christ in us, the hope of glory, yeah? I think it encourages us to dream bigger dreams when we're rooted you try reading through the book of Acts and having a dream that's too big for God. I mean, this is, and we can write it off and go, well, that was a different time and that was a different place. And to that I say, yeah, but it's the same God. Their, their story is not intention, intended to be some otherworldly experience. It's a historical account of the growth, flourishing, and sustaining nature of the church by the grace of God. You cannot have a dream that's too big for God. And you may think you do until you start reading about people who did things that just blow your mind. So grounding, it encourages us to pursue greater intimacy, to dream bigger dreams, to actually believe that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think or dream or imagine. And finally, here's what it does. A grounding calls us to take bigger risks. If part of their story is also part of mine, that this church flourished in the midst of a Roman empire, that people walked into coliseums laden with ravenous animals and gave their life as followers of Christ because they believed in the way of Jesus. People walked into lion's dens. People walked into fiery furnaces. I, I'm, I start to go, well, man, telling my friends about Jesus seems a little bit like lame on the risk scale but I need their stories. I need their story, because sometimes my faith is weak, and sometimes my faith needs some bolstering. And so Jesus says to you, and he says to me, you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So you can pursue greater intimacy, you can dream bigger dreams, and you can take bigger risks, because what's too big for God? if their stories are also ours. So what might you do in light of this message? I encourage you to do one of these things. Maybe you start reading scripture a little bit differently, or maybe you just start reading a period. I don't know where you're at. But maybe you start reading it as, man, this is part of my story. It's like, re- like picking up an old family photo album because you're grafted into their faith. You start reading it as not just some disconnected, disembodied thing that happened back then, but, but this is us. These are our stories. Maybe, maybe you pick up one of those books or biographies that I mentioned. I, I, I can't encourage you to do this enough. That man, If your faith is waning, pick up a biography of a missionary. Pick up, um, pick up Metaxas's biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Well, once you get through it in three years, it'll blow you away. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. It won't take you that long. It's really good. And maybe, just maybe, you take some time and think through your journey and ask somebody about theirs. Because God is at work in you and through you. And maybe you're not the quote-unquote roots of this place today, but someday you will be. Someday you will be. And our prayer is that we would see God as being faithful in our lives, as he has been in the past. Amen? Amen. Would you stand up with me? 
and invite Aaron and the team to come back up or back out and lead us in one last song. We'll just do the, the first verse and the chorus. Is that okay, Aaron? Preacher went long. Okay. But as we close and as we get ready to sing this great song about Jesus as our cornerstone, the same yesterday, today, and forever, I'm going to invite you to, to read this with me. This is sort of our like manifesto at the each of, end of each of these values. Would you read this with me? It talks about the kind of church that we pray we would become. As South Fellowship Church, we believe we are part of an ancient stream moving towards a glorious future. We commit to remembering God's faithfulness in the past and in our lives. We pray that our deep roots stir us to follow God into great things. We pray it would be so, Jesus.